Good morning. I'm here. Oh, it's good to see you guys this week. It's good to be back two weeks in a row and not have some crazy thing happen. Um, you guys okay with that? We got that figured out? All right. Um, if you guys did not get a chance to sign up for a life group last week, please, you, that, that little orange card that's there, fill that out and say, I want to be in a life group because you want to be in a life group. And if you don't want to be in a life group, do it anyway, okay? Um, my life group is starting at 6.30 on Tuesday here at this, our building, the Axe Church building, um, 6.30 p.m. Tuesday night. So if you guys want to, if you're not in another life group and you want to be in that life group, you're welcome to come and hang out with us, you know, bring a snack or something. Um, I don't know, something to eat. Uh, we'll hang out. We're going to have a good time and uh, get into the word and do some things. So um, I hope that you guys have done that. We talked about that last week. Uh, and I want to make sure that nobody is like, ah, I don't really know if I want to do the life group thing. You, want, you need to do the life group thing. You just aren't going to grow like you're supposed to grow without it. So please get involved in a life group. And if you don't have one already, fill out one of those cards for us. All right, let's get right into the word. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you if you want to read a paper Bible. And statistics say that even down to like the youngest Gen Z, whatever people, people like paper Bibles. So there you have them. We heard you and we did what you wanted. There they are. If you don't have one at home, take one home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Well, let's see what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the word of God. This is a promise. This is something you can depend on, that you can bank on. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You need to just sit in that for a minute. New creation, old things have gone, all things have become new. And you're, and you're sitting there and we sit there and we go, what, those old things, man. I think about that a lot. I think other people think about the old things with me. I don't care. The word of God says old things have gone and all things have become new. You need to understand who you are, your identity in Christ. We've been in this study for a few weeks now. Um, and last week we started talking about the identity of a Christ follower. I got about halfway through and realized we weren't going to get through it all because we ran out of time because I know your attention span, you know, it's football season and all the rest of that. So I stopped. Um, we're going to continue this week. Now we've gotten a little bit over halfway through the message. So what I did was I took that half of the message and then added a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so we probably won't get through it again, but that's okay. We're going to get in the word this morning. So, um, we had just finished kind of talking about the war that we're fighting, which is not a war against people, not a war against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness, and that Jesus Christ has won that victory, and that we are kind of walking out our life in Christ, battling to save people, right, to save people. Uh, there are many people, probably many people that you know that are around you, maybe some in this room, who are under the sway of the world and the power of darkness in their lives. And as we put on the whole armor of God, it's not just for us, it's for them. It's to go out and save them. We are in a battle for them. That's part of who you're called to be. We have authority that's been given to us in Christ. So we have the great commission on the wall outside. All authority has been given to me, he says. And then he tells us to go, authorizing us to go out and fight that battle to see people become his disciples. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we fight that battle every day. Not some days. Not when we just feel like it. Not when we're feeling particularly confident. Every day. 
We're here to march against the gates of hell to bring people to Jesus Christ, to bring people into his family, to become his disciples, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to follow all, to observe all that he has commanded, right? Our identity is in Christ. We're God's children. We're saved. We're forgiven of sin. We're made perfect, and we're accepted. And this is really important because people deal with being accepted, feeling accepted, you know, feeling like they got to wear the right thing, they got to put the right thing on Instagram, they got to, they got to say the right stuff, they got to know the right stuff. Nobody wants to be made fun of. Nobody wants to be canceled. Nobody wants to be blah 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 blah. You are accepted if you're a Christ follower. You're accepted not just by the people who are running around with their fickle ideas of what's cool to accept and what's not. You're accepted by the God who created the universe. That's a powerful thing. You are accepted by the God who made you in his own image and likeness and had a plan for you. That's an amazing thing. If you're struggling with your identity, if you're struggling with who you are, if you're struggling with the way people treat you, remember this, that the one who matters has said you're accepted, has said you're important, has said you're valuable. And he's given us three gifts I want to talk about this morning, three things that we don't want to take for granted. And when I say I want to talk about this morning, I mean the first half. We're going to have a lot more than that. But let's talk about these three things. The first thing he's given us is freedom. Now, I'm not talking about kind of uh, freedom in a worldly sense, right? Like we have freedom um, or we have some freedom uh, as Americans, right? But I'm not talking about that type of a thing. In fact, most of the history of the world and most believers have not lived in a place where they had that kind of freedom. It's a different kind of freedom that we're talking about. I'm talking about the first thing that God has given you as a Christ follower is freedom from death. And I know that we kind of like gloss over it. Like we don't think about it a lot. We're not like living in that reality. But you need to understand what would have happened if Jesus Christ had not died and risen again. You've been freed from spiritual death. And the eternal existence in death, like death forever in hell that you would have if you had not called upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you haven't done that, if that's not you, if you have not confessed the Lord Jesus, said Jesus is Lord, believed in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you're not free. You're a slave to sin. That's a reality, you know? I know that it's nice to talk about nice things and to kind of be like, well, let's focus on like the really positive side that Jesus really loves us, and he does. Let's focus on helping people, and we want to. But I'm not gonna lie to you about this. If you're not in Christ, you're dead. You're spiritually dead and you're a slave to sin. And you're under the sway of the world and the power of darkness. And that's who you are. That is your identity right now. There's two ways to go. We've talked about this before. There's two paths. It's life in Christ or it's living death leading to eternal death. You're like, but I don't feel like I'm dead spiritually or whatever. Yeah, you wouldn't. But you will. You will. There's a reason why the things are working out in your life the way they are, and there's a reason why God's put you in a position, called you to be here or to be listening to this online, because he wants to bring life to you. Romans 6, 15 through 19 says this, it's because you got to understand, every person born in this world ends up a slave to sin until they come to Christ. This is what it says. What then shall we, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you know, that's kind of like heck no. Right, because he's going through this thing. He's like, "Well, we have grace, so we might as well just sin. That way, we got lots of grace, right? Well, grace is a good thing, so we'll sin a lot, get a lot of grace." He's like, 
Don't be stupid. That's my version. You know, that's, that's idiotic, right? He says, do you, know, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, who? You, me, we were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine or teaching to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin. Huge gift of God. Set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms. He's just saying, I'm using like the idea of being a slave, being a servant of this and that, but it's bigger than that because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, your body, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Two ways to go. Slaves to sin, slaves to Christ and righteousness. Servants, bond servants. This is who we're giving ourselves to. If you're not giving yourself to God, you are by default giving yourself to sin, selfishness, darkness. That's just the reality. But if you're in Christ, you're saved and you're free. You have freedom, freedom from sin. You have become sons and daughters of the king of kings, free from sin and death. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing identity. And if you're not excited about that and you're not kind of jacked up about that, then you don't understand what it means. I could not get through life without understanding that and knowing that. I couldn't face the day without understanding that and knowing that. Because it's rough out there, y'all. But God has been good to us. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ <coughs> if we're in him. And we'll be with him forever. Both right now and he tells us in Matthew 28, 20, the last part of the verse, part B. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Always. He's always with us. And forever in everlasting life. Now, this is a gift that he's given to those who follow him, okay? Life and then new life in him. We all got life, but we got new life in him. Freedom and salvation and eternal life in his love. That's gift one that I want to talk about. If you're walking around as a Christ follower, you have this gift, freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from hell. Big time. It's a big time thing because that's where I was and he saved me from. Second gift he's given us is right here. It's the scriptures. He's given us his word, the word of God. And we should never take his word for granted. I have many times taken his word for granted. I've been too busy looking at this or Netflix or whatever, and I've taken the word for granted before. We should never take the word of God for granted. In this, in his word, he's revealed who he is. He's revealed his plan. He's told us who we are. And he's promised us victory in him. All that's here. And so much more. So much more. The scriptures are a great gift. They really are a great gift. That's why we say, take one home with you. Take it home with you because it will change your life. It might change your whole family. It might change your whole neighborhood. It's changed the whole world. They're a great gift. We should study the word and we should know it. You know, people actually, even unbelievers, they actually want to know what the Bible says. People are actually more interested than you think. And I'm talking about unbelievers too. They're actually, and people from other religions are actually more interested than you think in what the Bible has to say. They actually want to know it 
And you, as a Christ follower, have been given a gift. Not only do you have the scripture, but you have the opportunity to be taught the scriptures and have the Holy Spirit who helps you understand the scriptures. That's something the unbeliever does not have, which means when the unbeliever and the, per- and the Muslim and the Mormon and the whoever from these other religions wants to look into the Bible, wants to understand it, you are the ones who have that gift and who can give that to them. We're the ones who are called on to make disciples and teach them to follow Jesus from the scriptures. Now, there's a survey done. They do it every year. They've been doing it for 10 years or so. Um, and it's called the State of the Bible Survey. There's one done in 20, uh, 2021. It's done by the American Bible Society. And, and here's a few things that they found. I found some of these interesting, okay? The research found that 181 million Americans opened up a Bible last year, okay? In the last year, 181 million Americans opened up a Bible. That's actually up 7.1% from the year before. That's significant. 7.1% is not insignificant. That's significant. 7.1%, when you're talking about millions, that's a lot of millions. People opened up the Bible this year that didn't open up last year. See, things are happening. You might have noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. uh, There's a lot of stuff going on. People are looking for answers, and they're opening up the Scripture. Roughly a quarter of Americans have reported that they are reading the Bible more often than they did the year before. People are looking to the scripture. 50%, one half of the people in this country are saying that they read the Bible anywhere from the most was every day of the week, and the least in this one is three or four times a year. But at least that, you know, every quarter, once a quarter they're reading it, or every single day, 50% of Americans fall on that. And they've got like four or five times a week, and two or three times a week, whatever. It's kind of even across, like 10%, 5%, 10%, 10%. A lot of people. Half of Americans are reading the Bible some, and then there's more that, that are reading that maybe a couple times a year, that type of thing. Older Americans are far more likely than younger Americans to read the Bible often. Give it up for the older Americans. Good job, older Americans. It's not my fault you don't know how to use a cell phone, okay? <laughs> if you did, you'd find there's a lot of other stuff to do, right? But that's the thing, right? And by the way, but like when, you, when they asked about like paper Bible versus like reading online with older Americans, it's like 97% want paper. And, you know, it went down from there. People like to look at it online. But older Americans, praise God, are elders, what they call the elders and the boomers. They read the Bible more. They get it. You know why? Because the older you get, the more you realize how much you need it. Far more likely than younger. But I found this interesting in the research. This is just kind of funny. Millennials claim the highest knowledge of Scripture. With 16% saying they are highly knowledgeable, compared to both Gen X and Gen Z, which say 12%, which is a high number. Gen Z and millennials, though significantly less engaged with Scripture and less frequent users of the Bible than boomers and elders, claim the highest knowledge of its contents. Meanwhile, elders and baby boomers have higher rates of engaging with Scripture, yet they self-assess as highly knowledgeable, much less frequently than younger generations, 10% for boomers, 7% for elders. Elders are the oldest. The older you get, the more you go, there's a lot more here than I know. There's a lot more here than I understand. Don't don't be upset, millennials. Let me tell you something. Gen Zers, millennials, uh, don't worry. We all thought we knew more than everybody else when we were your age. It's not, it's it's okay. Like, don't feel bad. That's normal, okay? Um, But... 
you know, you don't know more. <laughs> Everybody, you're not highly knowledgeable. You don't know anything, right? I, you can't. I don't know anything. I'm a pastor. Like, there's so, you don't understand how much is here. It's layer after layer after layer. And you see prophecy and you're like, what? What? There's so much going on. The older you get and the more you read it, the more you understand how much God is revealing. This isn't like a normal book written by humans. This is a book that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. There is so much going on. People want to simplify it because they think that's an easier way to get it to people, but I don't think it is an easier way. It's a love letter from God. Okay. Yeah, he loves you. There's not a love letter. There's like a lot of killing in here for your average love letter. Right? Like, I rarely have, like, been, and they slew with, you know, in my love letters, you know, to Tiffany, right? Or Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. There's nothing basic about this. If you're looking for basic, you know, read, see, dick, run, or whatever. That's basic. This is not basic. This is a book for grown-ups and children, but it's a book to read for the rest of your life. It's a book to understand more and more and more. And people want to look into it. And who are they going to ask about it? They're going to ask you, the person who identifies as a Christ follower. Can you explain this to me? Yeah, I read this thing in the Bible. It was weird. And you might just have to say, it is weird. That's a weird thing. Like, right? Like, let's go talk to one of the elders. Let's go talk to uh, one of the pastors or whatever and like figure out how they've worked out this weirdness. But, but nevertheless, they're going to come to you because they want to know the Bible. Why are they drawn to the Bible? Because the Holy Spirit's drawing them. Because we're at the end of the age and crazy things are happening and we want to see as many people as possible become disciples of Jesus Christ and be baptized, be taught to observe all that he's commanded. And they want to. When half of Americans, I know 60, we talked last week, 60 something percent of Americans claim that they prefer Christianity as a religion. That's obviously, you know that's not true. If, if 40% of Americans, I think probably even less than that, we're like serious, committed Christ followers. We would have peace, justice, and whatever all over the earth for a thousand years. Okay? It's not, it's not true. But what we do have, real statistics here, we do have 50% of people who have at least read the Bible somewhat last year. And the really cool thing is that it's increasing. And if we're not going to take advantage of that as Christ's church and his body that there's renewed interest in the scriptures, what are you doing? What are you here for? Aren't you here to see when we get to baptize people, which hopefully we'll do again real soon, to see people come to know Jesus? Well, when we see that the world is interested in the scripture, we better get ready. It means we got to know it too. Do not take the scriptures for granted. They talk about God and who he is and how glorious and powerful he is. Your father, it's amazing. The Bible is a great gift. It's full of truth and promises and comfort. Gives us the ability to trust God for life so that when things are going crazy, we're not the ones going, ah! We're going like, yeah. If you were wondering about that, it was all written here towards the back a long time ago. We're not freaking out. And that is a great witness. All right, number three, next gift. God gave us each other. He gave us one another. And this third gift cannot be taken for granted either. Since the beginning of the church, God has given Christ followers one another. And this is a blessing, honestly, 
along with salvation, along with the scripture, this is a blessing I can't even describe. It's hard to preach about because words fall short of how amazing it is. Our lives are full of immeasurable, indescribable benefits because of one another. Now, some of you might look around and be like, these people? This is the gift? Is there a return policy? Right? (laughs) Yes, these people. Yes, these people. And don't look on the outside and don't look on little things that annoy you and all that kind of stuff. That's not what you do. At least don't look at me on the outside. You're going to be like, that's not a gift. Uh, That's what my wife says. No. (laughs) This is the body of Christ that you are sitting in the midst of right now. You do not understand spiritually what you have, where you sit in this room right now. This is the body of Christ. These are his children. This is the group of people that God is using to proclaim his power in the world. He is doing it both through words and actions in the lives of the people sitting right here and sitting in other churches all over the world and throughout all time. You are part of that. And the people that he's given you to be part of that with you are a great gift. You are connected to millions of people right now living in the world. They don't all speak your language. They don't all dress like you. They don't all look like you. They don't all have your culture. But they love Jesus Christ, and they're his children. They've called him Lord. They believe that he was raised from the dead, and they are your brothers and sisters all over the world. And you're sitting in the midst of this local expression of the body of Christ, and it is a powerful thing, an amazing thing. God has poured out his Holy Spirit on us to accomplish his will and to hold back the darkness. You are looking at the people when you look around this room You are looking at the people that God is using to keep things in this world from absolute evil and confusion. The Holy Spirit is the one that's holding back the darkness, and he's doing it through you, through his church. You think the world's a messed up place right now. Like, you look at it, and you're like, yikes, right? Doesn't take any time going through the news feed, going through Facebook, going through whatever, not just in this country, but all over the world. It's like, whoa, you have no conception of how bad it would be without the people that are sitting next to you that God is using to hold back the darkness. That's who you are. That's who you're around. You're looking at the body of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit that God is using to keep the world from absolute ruin. He will not use us forever. We will be taken to be with him, and then you can read the rest in Revelation. Or you can join the End Times Prophecy Group that we have going on Wednesday nights online. You want to do that, you can put that on the orange card also. This is your identity in Christ. You are a member of his body, the church. Listen, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Did you know that? A royal priesthood. You would if you read this. You'd know that about who you are. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's you. And that's the people around you. Chosen nation, a holy nation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people. That's God who's talking about you that way. And you're like, but this person at school was mean to me. Yeah, well, God just told you who you are. Now, I'm not saying you go back to that person and be like, I'm a royal priesthood, okay? I'm not saying do that. But maybe. No, don't do that. Don't do that. 
understand who you are. Don't let anybody tell you anything different than what I just read to you, because that's the fact. That's who you are if you're in Christ. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. Sometimes we feel alone. You are not alone. You are not the only soldier out there with the armor of God on. You're a part of a shield wall. You have God fighting for you, and you have me, and you have millions of other people who are putting on that same armor and who are doing that. And particularly, you have this local expression of the body of Christ where God has called you and the people around you who are fighting that battle for lost people together. Fighting that battle for your family that's struggling, for the addiction that you're dealing with, for whatever it is, fighting that battle together. You're not alone. The worst thing that I see happen, the worst thing that I see happen when somebody's trying to grow is what happens is they start dealing with an issue. It starts to get at them. And instead of pressing in to life group and pressing into the people at church and doing that kind of stuff, they retreat. They hide. And it only gets worse. Your natural human reaction to having difficulty is to hide and not tell anybody about it because you don't want to be embarrassed because you don't be able to. You don't ever have to be embarrassed. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's child. If you're struggling, bring it out and let your brothers and sisters who you have been given to fight beside you help you with it. Our gift from God is one another. You're my gift, and I'm really happy with it. Beyond what you know. And we're to love one another. So the next time that you feel alone, or you feel weak, or you feel afraid, or you feel unloved, remember these three gifts. Do not forget them. You have freedom and salvation because God loves you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's you. You have the scripture. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's a powerful thing. It's your gift. And you have one another. Let's listen to part of uh, Jesus' prayer that he does in John 17. You can find it there in your, your Bible. Glenn, that's in the New Testament. You're wondering where John is. He struggles sometimes. It's all right. <clears throat> John 17, we're going to start at verse 20 and go to verse 23. Jesus is praying here. He's praying for you. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for his disciples. It's not just for them, but those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's me and that's you. We are descendants spiritually from the disciples that he's talking about right there. It's all one thing. That they all may be one, as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How does the world believe that, that God sent Jesus? When we're unified, when we're loving each other, when we're one. When we recognize the gift that we've been given of each other, that's when people start believing that Jesus is God. It literally has that effect. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. How do people know that God sent Jesus? How do people know that God loves you when you love each other? 
when you're unified with one another, when you recognize this gift, the gift of one another. It's not just you and the Holy Spirit, you and Jesus doing your thing. Nobody can tell me what to do. I do my thing. It's just me and the Bible. I know how to interpret it. I'm a millennial. I have, you know, the high knowledge of scripture, whatever. I'm sorry. Millennials are like, I'm leaving. Don't leave. I love you. I love you. You're great. You're special. You are a royal priesthood. It doesn't matter how old you are, okay? But it's not just you out there on your own, putting on the full armor of God and going out and fighting and whatever by yourself. It's you in the context of the body of Christ. That is a gift to you. Recognize it. Recognize it. So these gifts are part of how we live out our identity. They're things that we have as Christ followers. Freedom and salvation, the scriptures, and one another. Do not take any of them for granted. We need them all. And what do we need them all for? Well, one of the things we need them all for is to live as Jesus Christ has commanded us to live. Try living how Jesus Christ has commanded you to live without living in the power of your salvation, being in the scripture, and pouring into one another. Try doing it. It will not work. Now, get your notepaper out if you have it, or your phone app or whatever. I told you I want to take you to take some notes. I'm going to go through a number of things here, and it'd be good for you to have them later, because I know you guys don't remember what I say. I've seen how you live. Okay. No, I'm kidding. You're like, that's so mean. Listen, I'm just kidding, okay? I I joke a lot. If you're new, you probably think I'm a jerk. That's true, but it's not because of what I'm saying here. I am just kidding with all these things that I'm saying. All right. All right. We're going to walk through some essentials to identity as a Christ follower. You want to know that you're a Christ follower? You You want to be able to say like, yeah, I can see that I'm a Christ follower. These are some of the things. When we identify with Christ as his followers, there are characteristics and character traits that define our lives. Whether we have these character traits or are growing toward them or in them is a way to assess ourselves whether we are living as Christ followers. We want to assess ourselves. We want to test ourselves. We want to look at the scripture and look at ourselves, then look at the scripture, then look at ourselves. Go to the teachings, go to yourself, figure it out. Don't forget what's here. Go away and totally forget who you are. Continuously looking. This is how we assess ourselves. Okay? Now, before we get into the characteristics of Christ, Christ follower, really quickly, I want to address something. Because this is one of these things that, that Christians and, and evangelicals particularly sometimes get, get caught up on. I'm not talking about salvation here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a Christ follower. Okay? There are people who may have been saved who are not walking as Christ followers and not interested in walking as Christ followers. There are people out there like that. I used to live a life that was not defined by the character traits we're going to talk about this morning, but I was probably saved. I had made a decision. I had believed certain things and so on. I was probably saved, but I was not living like a Christ follower. Okay. Salvation is one thing. Walking as a Christ follower is another. Okay. Salvation is by grace through faith, meaning You did not earn it. We did not earn it. We cannot earn it. Can't happen that way. It's the free gift of God. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You cannot brag about having salvation because you didn't do it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. Okay, so when I'm describing what it looks like to be a Christ follower, I'm going to be describing a lot of works, 
And then some people will go, but it says not of works, not of works. That's talking about salvation. It's not talking about what it looks like to be a Christ follower because Christ followers do works. They do. Disciples do works. Followers follow. That's what they do. Being saved is the grace of God to you. But simply to be saved and say, that's enough. I don't need to do anything else but sort of sit here and be saved. I can kind of live how I want, but I'm going to sit here being saved. I'm not going to move forward in it. That means you do not understand what God has called you to and what he's calling you to. It means you don't understand Jesus' sacrifice for you. It means you don't understand what it means to say Jesus is Lord of my life and mean it. Having faith in Christ and being a disciple means you will walk in the works he has set you to walk in. That's what being a Christ follower means. Literally, the next verse, so it says, not of works lest anyone should boast. The next words, if you go to Ephesians 2.10, says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. No one can boast. But now that we're done with that, hey, there's works. You're his workmanship, and you were created, because he's a workman, you were created to be like him, a workman, and do good works, which he has set beforehand for you to do, that you ought to walk in them. That's what it looks like to be a Christ follower. If you're not walking in them, you're not following him. So I don't need to hear about how you're saved if you don't want to be a Christ follower. Yeah, I'm glad you're saved. Good. What's it doing for you? What's it profiting you? The Great Commission teaches us to observe all that he has commanded, right? Listen to James 2, 14 through 24. It says, what does a prophet, my brethren? Someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What's the use, right? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And he says this, you believe that there is one God? People who are like, I believe in God, generally. You do well, good. In other words, that's true, there is God. But even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's belief and his works were coming together as one thing. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, here's the deal. Maybe that's complicated for you, but here's basically what's going on. If you had a moment and you got saved and you got baptized, and you were young, and then you walked away, and you're like, the walking away thing is what I want to stick with, then you might be saved. I can't answer for that. But you are not a Christ follower. Don't go out and say, I'm a Christian to people, because Christian means little Christ, Christ follower. And when you say, I'm a Christian, because when I was eight years old, I went to VBS, and I got saved, and they baptized me, and since then, I've done whatever I wanted to do, you might be saved. I don't know. I can't answer for that. That's between you and God. But if it has had no effect to drive you towards being a Christ follower, I would be concerned about that minimally. If you want to be a Christ follower, this is what it looks like. Your faith and what you do go together to show your faith. 
okay? Don't just tell me that you're saved and you don't have to do anything else. I'll go to heaven. I don't have to do anything else. Whatever, man. Probably would be a man who would say that. Um, <laughs> after all, I believe in God. Yeah, so do the de- demons, and they're in terror over it. You show me that you believe by showing me that you're walking as a disciple, as a Christ follower. Now, let me give you uh, an example. I've had people in my life over time that were mentors for me. So, I, so these people are people that I looked at and I said, there are some things about this person that I want to imitate or emulate in my life. There's just, they've got some stuff and I want to do that. And so I've kind of uh, let myself be mentored by them to sort of grow as a person because they're sort of showing me. You can read in the scripture and whatever, there's something about people who are showing you. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's like, yeah, you can look at me. You can look at my life. To the extent that you can see that it's lined up with Christ, you should follow those things. To the extent you can see it's not, don't follow those things, right? So I've had these mentors, um, and what's happened is, uh, as I've kind of walked and tried to sort of imitate some of their behavior, some of my behavior became better, became more like their behavior. And I started to see my life look sort of more like their lives. With one of my mentors, I actually started looking exactly like him. That was my mentor, George Clooney. Um, No. (laughs) He wishes. Anyway, um, I never started looking like my mentors. But if you have a mentor, you're imitating that mentor. It's the way it works, right? But if I say, you're my mentor, you're my mentor. I want to learn how to live in my life in certain ways from you, but there's nothing about my life that looks like your life. I keep saying, I think you've got the answers. I want you're my mentor. But as I walk around, there's nothing about my life that looks anything like you. People are going to go, you are kidding yourself. That person is not your mentor because there's no menteeing going on with you. Okay. Same thing for a Christ follower. Same thing for a Christ follower. You can say you're a Christ follower, that that you're a disciple of Christ all day long, but if you don't live like he's asked you to live and do the things, observe what he's commanded you, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. So let's study as quickly as we can because it's 11-11. I knew this was going to happen. This is literally where we got last time before we got to this part. So, okay, here we go. We're going to go quick. Here we go. Uh, this is what the works that show faith look like. Number one, love. Okay, I'm going to read a few verses. John 3, 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Those are the people that God has given you that are sitting near you and all over the world. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. You want to know all the instructions that God has given you? Here, they're summed up right there. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that we're his disciples? This is what I'm talking about, identity. How do they know? That you have, if you have love for one another. If people are looking at you and you're saying, I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a Christ follower, you know how people will be like, yeah, you're right, if they see you have love for one another. That's the evidence. So this is one of the evidences of identity in Christ is love. Our love for one another is huge. Our love for the world, our love for our neighbor, and mostly our love for God, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do we do that or are we judging one another? Are we thinking negative about one another? Are we talking behind people's backs? Love is definitional to the identity of a Christ follower. 
it comes first. And without it, nothing you do for the Lord in walking with him, all these other things that we're going to list, if you don't have love, they are useless to you. They profit you nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Profits me nothing. It might profit somebody else. I mean, you gave all your goods to feed the poor. It might have profited them, but it profits you nothing. So if you're a follower of Christ in every other way, but you miss this one, it's not doing anything for you. Love has got to come first. You'd be like, well, I'm really good. I give a lot of money. I gave my body to be burned. I did blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but you got no love. Like, but what about all the other stuff? <laughs> don't care. I don't care. If there was no love... When Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, and these people are like, but we did all these things. And he's like, when I came to you, hungry, in prison, whatever it was, you didn't do anything for me. Like, we never saw you. He's like, yeah, but the least of these you did, and you did nothing. Why didn't they? They had no love in their hearts. They were all about doing all the other things, all the outward stuff, but they didn't love Jesus. They had no love in their hearts. Number two, growth. A Christ follower is known by the fact that he or she is growing. Okay? You are in one spot right now. If you've been a Christ follower for a long time, hopefully you were in a different spot 10 years ago. And hopefully you will be in a different spot 10 years later when we talk about things like your maturity and your character and your integrity and how much love you have and how much you've grown. Christ followers are defined by the fact that they're constantly growing. That's how it works. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if the work has been begun in you, it's going on. He will complete it. If your whole life looks like going this way, there's something wrong with your Christ following. Christ following is moving in the direction towards him. A Christian, a Christ follower, is defined by the fact that they're growing. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already attained. It's not there yet. Or I'm already perfected. But I press on. Forward, right? I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Notice he didn't say, I've forgotten those things that are behind. That's not what he said. Forgetting. That's something that you're doing constantly. I talked earlier and I was like, yeah, the old stuff, the old man. God's making it new, but I keep remembering the old. You know what Paul said he had to do? He had to constantly, as a discipline, forget the things that were behind him. They come up and he's like, nope, nope, I'm in Christ. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone. So that's what he's doing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a forward movement. Pushing back those things that Christ has already set you free from, not letting them come back to get you, not letting the accuser, not letting anybody in your past, not letting anything come and tell you that you are not in him. You're forgetting that and you're moving forward every day. That's definitional to a Christ follower. 
We're in the constant process of forgetting the past, the shame, the guilt that you have been set free from and pressing on. We're constantly working to be more and more and more and more like Christ. If we are not growing, this is important as we assess ourselves. If we are not growing, we are not showing the lives of a Christ follower, of a disciple. And when we do not grow, the world is likely to look at that and believe that our Christianity is not worth following. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Um, Book of Christianity says, If conversion to Christianity makes no improvement in a man's outward actions... If he continues to be just as snobbish or spiteful or envious or ambitious as he was before, then I think we must suspect that his conversion was largely imaginary. Fine feelings, new insights, greater interest in religion mean nothing unless they make our actual behavior better. Just as in an illness, feeling better is not much good if the thermometer shows that your temperature is still going up. In that sense, the outer world is quite right to judge Christianity by its results. Christ told us to judge by results. A tree is known by its fruit, or as we say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Or we just say the proof is in the pudding because we're not British. Anyway, the wartime posters, back in World War II, the wartime posters told us that careless careless talk costs lives, right? Loose lips sink ships. I'm not going to try to do that. Uh, It is equally true that careless lives cost talk. Our careless lives set the outer world talking, and we give them grounds for talking in a way that throws doubt on the truth of Christianity itself. That's what happens when we don't grow. That's what happens. It's 1119. Goodness gracious, I'm only through number two. (sighs) If we're not growing, expect that the world is talking about Christians and about the church and saying, it seems pretty useless to me because the results are not showing. All right, we have communion today. I really want to do that, and I don't want to keep you here longer than I told you you'd be here, which is generally usually an hour and a half. So we're going to save 3 through 11. (laughs) Maybe for next week. We'll see how far we get, okay? Um, But I love you, and I want to respect your time because you're a great gift to me. Listen, God loves you. I want you to know that. I want you to walk out of here. You know, we're going through these things that help you assess whether you're a Christ follower. But what's important to me, of course, I want to see you grow. There's nothing that makes me happier, more joyful than seeing that my brothers and sisters are growing, just like seeing that I'm growing. It's an amazing thing. Okay? But I also, there's nothing that makes me feel better than seeing that you're finding your identity more and more in Christ and less and less in the things of this world and the things that the world tells you are important about your identity. Less and less in money, less and less in looks, less and less in power, less and less in where you are on the ladder, less and less in those things, and more and more in Christ so that no one can move you. That's what's important. That's why we're doing this identity series. I want you to come out here standing so strong that you cannot be moved. Because you're standing in Christ and you're standing next to your brothers and sisters. If you don't know Jesus, and we talked about this today, you are in darkness and you need him today. If you don't know him, we're going to start, come on up, Daniel, and and the band, come on on up here. We're going to start playing some music. We're going to sing a song. During that, I'm going to ask Pastor Dave, 
Um, uh, where's Dan? Uh, Dan, maybe you could go back to the prayer room. If you don't know Jesus, go back there and talk to Pastor Dave or talk to Dan and just say, I need to know Jesus. They'll lead you into what it looks like to know Jesus. And then we'll baptize you and then we'll teach you to obey, to observe all that God has commanded. And it'll be awesome and crazy and exciting and an adventure. If that's you today, please don't miss this opportunity. While we're saying, just walk through those doors, walk right past the bathrooms. Say, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. If you need prayer for other things, you may also go back there during this song. We're going to take communion together, and so I'm going to ask that we sort of start to prepare our hearts for that. Christ died for you. The sacrifice was the most intense thing that anyone has ever gone through. He took on the sin of the world. And he rose again. And we're going to remember that this morning. And so as we sing, I want you to start preparing your hearts. And then about halfway through the song, we're going to, they're going to be passing out communion. We're going to take it together. And I want this to be a moment where we are remembering Christ's sacrifice. I love you. Let's pray really quickly. Father, I just pray that you'd be with our people. I pray that you'd be with them this week. I pray that you'd help me to eventually get through this sermon that was supposed to be one sermon. I pray that you'd help us to, to grow and to love you. Jesus, you are so good to us. God, you're so good to us. Thank you for the gifts of freedom, of salvation, of your scripture and of one another. Lord, help us to value that gift of one another. Push past all the other stuff. Be unified that the world might know that you were sent, that you are God, Jesus. That the world might know that we're your children, that you love us. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.